I'm going to throw a lot at you in, in a little bit of time. And so, Jesus, help me. So I feel like there's something happening in this church right now. I feel like, I feel like the past couple of weeks, last week and this week, the Lord is establishing some, some very uh, pillar, pillar topics in this house about who we are. The la- last week I talked about family. How do, we, how do we host revival? We do it in family. I, a message that was super from, that's all from my heart, things he's showing me. This week, though, I want to talk to you about is your faith built on life or death? Okay, Um, and so here's what we're going to do. I guarantee you we're going to have a barbecue this morning. You're going to smell the holy cow cooking. Because we're going to go after something that here in the south is a big fat cow. And it's, it's, it's focusing our walk on the Lord all on death, opposed to the life of Jesus. So, shall we jump in? Every Christian, uh, we call ourselves believers. Every believer has a major choice. It's exactly what they believe. Is your form of Christianity, is my form of Christianity focused on death or focused on life? Now, I'm going to throw out some things that you're going to have to let me get through what I'm teaching on before it's all going to make sense, or you could think that's heretical. But is it focused on the death of Jesus, or is it focused on the resurrection and life of Jesus? Life and death can't be separated. However, the life of a believer, your walk with the Lord drastically changes if you have built your walk based on the death of Jesus or based on the life of Jesus. You say, I don't know about that. I got a scripture for you, because I knew you'd say that. Romans 5. You're going to want to flip to this one because this one will change. This right here is getting ready to... um, I don't like using the word theology when I preach because it's just a heavy, um, heady word. But this is going to pop a lot of bubbles. You ready? Mm. Romans 5. Let's do verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Let's let's read that again. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Okay. If you were to ask most people, how do you get saved? If our answer is the cross, that doesn't match that scripture. You're reconciled through the cross. Said that you're saved through the life of Jesus. (laughs) I didn't write the Bible. (laughs) I was just reading it this morning. We're going to go. We're going to have some fun because when you get this, it's going to change your walk with the Lord. I grew up my whole, I didn't say my whole life, but I have grown up much of my life. <laughs> Sound like the gates just opened, man. Like, I was like, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, so, I grew up much of my life focused a lot on, on the death of Jesus. And with, with, with a message, with focusing my, my faith on his 
death, it puts me in a place of a lot of striving. We sung about the opposite of it this morning. There is no striving. And what happens is, is people, uh, there's some misunderstanding of what the salvation process is. This passage in Romans 5.10 is actually a scripture that almost nobody really catches in the fact that the cross reconciled you to the Father. But it was through the resurrection and the life of Jesus that you're saved. Maybe we don't understand it because we actually don't understand what the word saved means. If the word saved to you means that you're saved just from going to hell, which is probably what most people think the word saved means, is I don't go to hell. You saved me from hell. That would make sense why you're confusing the cross for the place of salvation. Because the cross, the cross is the place where mercy is poured out. Mercy covers your sins. Salvation, though, is different. The word salvation, the word in the scripture that I just read to you, it says that through his life you are saved is the word sozo. Sound familiar? So let's break down the word sozo. I'm kind of wearing my teacher hat today, which I don't normally do. But sozo means this. It means to deliver or protect, healed or preserved, free or made whole. I don't know if you caught there. It didn't say anything about just a ticket to heaven. This is much more about what God wants to do in you while you're still here on earth. He said, you're saved. You're sozoed. Jesus went to the cross, and in his death and in resurrection, there was a new covenant that was formed. From that place, he, here's what I'm going to do. Let's, let's kind of visualize it. You've got the cross over here. Here's the cross. You've got the resurrection of Jesus here. And on the other side of resurrection, we have Jesus ascended on high, where he still is, by the way. He's above everything. So we have, we have that Jesus went to the cross, he died, he resurrected, and now he's over here. He is now pouring out, this, this scripture said that through his life, what does that mean? He is a life-giving spirit. He is a life-giving spirit. What is he giving you? He's giving you grace, he's giving you life, and he's giving you righteousness. These are the things that as he is now ascended on high and he is reigning, he is pouring down on you, and you are underneath him and he is reigning down on you continually. Grace, life, righteousness. We get really stuck over here, and, I'm, and I'll get to that in a minute. We actually have like an unhealthy appetite for, how do I say this? We almost have an unhealthy appetite to hear about death. I hear it from people. Man, that preacher preached the wall, the paint off the walls. On, and you come out, and I feel like a sinner, and man, he was preaching. And in the South, that's very strong diet that we like, likes that. But I want you to look at it as it almost brings this immediate high of we feel, you know, this intensity in the moment. It's kind of like eating fast food. People crave it. People want it. People like it. And then after it, people are fat and unhealthy. Was that too heavy? Sorry. I just felt like a cold wind blow back at me. Like, you can preach all you want on that, but don't take my fast food. <laughs> okay. 
I didn't name any of them. Good grief. <laughs> okay. We have a... <laughs> I feel another sermon coming. Um, we, we get a... I fight with the same thing. We have this, this, this craving for, for this, and it tastes good, and it feels good, and then after it, there's no life from it. I, I feel the same thing when we build around the topic of death, that it actually feels good. People like it. But is it actually empowering you to be like Jesus? If he didn't want to stay in the grave, why would you? He's not there. He doesn't live there anymore. He's not there. He's over here. Resurrected. Having a great time, by the way. He's not scared of what's going on. He's not scared of the coronavirus. He's not scared of the economy. He's not scared of the elections. He's actually pretty happy. He's filled with joy, and he's raining down on us grace, life, and righteousness. But our diet, for some reason, really likes this Helen Brimstone preaching. Because when someone preaches at me like that, I let them control me through fear. And it's easier to be controlled than to have self-control. It's easy to create a church out of control, honestly. It really is. Because people would rather be self-controlled by leadership than be self-controlled. Because that means that when things go wrong, they can blame it on their leaders. In a church where we say, listen, you're amazing. We're going to empower you to be self-controlled. You take responsibility. And we champion you and who you are. But when we build things through death... It uses the form of fear and manipulation, which I'm getting way ahead of myself in my notes. But the American church has a love affair with death-focused Christianity. We want death-focused sermons, death-focused communion, death-focused discipleship. And we wonder why we don't have the same results as the Acts church. I'll go there in a minute. I don't know how many of you bought a house. Um, When you buy a house, at least for us, the process was that we went and we went to, I think it's an attorney's office where they do the papers and they do all that and you sign a bajillion papers. And what happens? They give you the keys to your house. Yay! How many of you know that you don't want to live at the attorney's office? The attorney's office was the place that the transaction took place so that you could move into your new address. We don't live here. I had to go here for the transaction to take place. And I'm going to break down what happened on the cross more in a minute because I'm, not, I'm, I'm by no means diminishing the power of the cross, but the power of the cross is to open a door for you to live in the life and resurrection of Jesus, not to stay here. People do that. They, they pray. It's, 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 it's a fear-based God. Just they're always, God, have mercy on me. Like, like, like when God wants you to thrive. So we buy this house. We get the keys. This is my home now. I, don't, I haven't went back to the attorney's offices just for fun. 
as amazing as that was, and it was the highlight of my life, you know, um, being sarcastic. Um, I, I didn't go back. It was great, but I got my home. This is where I live. I had to do my transaction. But I didn't have to do it more than once. I don't have to get saved again. To get saved again is to mean that... Now, if you decide to walk away from the Lord, that's different. If you decide to break the relationship and walk away, that's different. Talking about those of us that have in relationship with the Lord. I don't have to do it another time. I do believe in a refilling of the Holy Spirit. I, I, be, I believe you can see that biblically all over the Bible, continual refilling. But I don't believe I have to get saved again. But we've created a culture where people feel like <laughs> when they're struggling, they must not be saved enough. But if you live here... According to Romans, you're actually saved over there. This is the place of reconciliation. Oh, this is great. This is fun. The cross is a major part of, of the believer's walk. It's where the, it's where the great exchange took place. It should never be diminished, but it's the life of Jesus where I find home. If that's my home. It's in life. So let's break it down a little bit more. At the cross, we find, at the cross, we find mercy. A lot of people would, I'm going to give you some terms to make sure that you understand them. Because I think if you don't get your terms right, it can actually really become confusing. Because grace is in the life of Jesus. Mercy is at the cross of Jesus. Big difference. Reconciled, what happens? The scripture says that at the cross, there was a reconciliation that took place. It says in, um, let's see if I, I think I wrote it down. There was a, the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, prophesied what would happen. And it says that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart the stone and give you a heart of flesh. At the cross, we received mercy and we got a new heart. We need that because we can't have any of that without that. But that was just the beginning. The purpose of re- the word reconciliation, we were reconciled to God so that we, could, we, were, we were brought together. There was an exchange. The word reconciled, if you look that up, actually means to come into favor with. It's one of a few definitions. I love that. At the cross, when we come to the cross and we come before the Lord, mercy is poured out. And what happens? You now come into favor with the Father. That's good news. Am I losing you? It's really, really good news. But what happens is, is if we get stuck at the cross, we find a culture of Christians which is really dominant in the southern part of America, that leave every worship service feeling bad about their sin, but thank goodness God is good. But that's living here. Because I don't know about you, but my sinful man died. He's not with me anymore. And so... uh, uh, 
I love the church. They're like, come on, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> I watch what I say because I get in trouble for something. So I'm like, how do I say that the right way? Um, there's, there's something that is drawn to the idea of I went to service and it was just all about sin. And it's like, that was an anointed sermon. But according to Romans 5.10, what is an anointed sermon is when you are coming into the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. Now, we need evangelists. They're the ones, people that do that. It's not my responsibility, though. I'm going to blow your mind. The Southern culture, the, the American culture church thinks bring your friends to church so they can get saved. Again, saved, wrong word. Two, I believe that it's the jo- I believe it's the responsibility of every believer to sh- to advance the kingdom in their faith, but it's not the job to have it preached and have. Uh, um, it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy to put the responsibility on preachers to lead everyone to the war- to the Lord. That's that's not how it was supposed to work. Now, there are moments where I've stepped up here and I feel the grace in the moment to invite people to the cross and there's mercy in the moment and I feel it and I'll do it. I will and I have no problem for it. I'll do it any moment the Lord says, go for it. I feel it in the room. But my responsibility is to teach people how to live in the life of Jesus. That's my responsibility. A culture of Christians that live life-focused are completely different than folks that are death-focused, grave-focused. The culture of the services are different. The worship songs are different. I love it that I come in and the songs are all about life. And some people don't like that. No, some people really don't, it bothers them, like, why aren't we singing more about the death? I'm like, really? It was in his resurrection that everything was fulfilled. And people want it. And I feel the drive for it. And we just keep pushing it over here saying, no, we're going to focus on the life of Jesus. continually becoming more aware of all the access we have in the life of Jesus. We understand that we died with Jesus. We did. We were crucified with Christ, but we also raised with Christ. It's, 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 it's a challenge to teach these because I'm trying to get your focus in the right place without belittling the cross. But I don't live there. I live here. I've been in... Um, we've had... Um, I've been in communion services before where I feel the, the focus getting unhealthy. I have. I can feel it in the room. I can feel it starting to get into an unhealthy place, and it's starting to focus on death. And I have to bring it over to life because it's remembering what he did. Okay, why did he do it? So that you could have life and life more abundantly. Can I just be honest with you? 
A church that will pick this up will change the world. It will change the world. I, I saw in the spirit, what time is it? Um, I saw in the spirit as I was preparing for this, I kept seeing like a flag being raised on a ship. You know how they raise their flags and it identifies who they are. They even had flags on ships that meant don't come on board, there's diseases, there's all these things. And I kept seeing like over this church, God was raising a flag of life. And when people see it, they know that's a place I can actually go and live. I don't need anyone else telling me to die. I already died. I don't need to crucify my flesh anymore. It's already dead. To say I need to crucify the flesh again and more means that the blood of Jesus wasn't sufficient enough. I don't need to crucify myself anymore. I've done that. I died with Christ. I came to the cross. I came into mercy, and now I stepped into grace. I'm probably pretty extreme in this, to be honest with you, because it's so passionate to me. I sat underneath great preachers before, and, and something in me personally just squirms when I start getting told I just need to die more. And, and it's everywhere. It really is. And I honor, I honor, they have powerful messages. I would never dishonor any of them. But something in me squirms when I'm being told I just need to crucify my flesh more. Because I just see Jesus teaching us something else. I read scriptures in Ephesians that talk about all that he came to give us, all you have access to. Paul used everything in his, in his vocabulary, which was extreme. He was a brilliant writer. He used everything he could figure out to try to explain to you how good this life is. Jesus came to cast out fear, but we keep teaching it back in. And he said, I don't want that. And then we teach it back in. And it comes through waves in the church. But I want to live in the life and resurrection of Jesus. If this, it's already taken. So here's what happened this morning in worship. I could feel like the the soil was already tilled up. Like the Lord was tilling the soil for the, the sermon today. I could feel it. Um, This message burns in my heart. It also scares me to death, to be honest with you. Like, I was almost nauseous before I even wanted to come speak on this because I knew, I just, I know what what I'll get when I start talking about not living in the death of Jesus. I, I know it, but I also know what will happen when a church gathers around the life and resurrection of Jesus. It will change the world. It will change the world. We have to, we have to change our appetite. We've, we've, we've eaten the same thing. Many of us, many of you have eaten it your whole life. There's a certain uh, appetite you've eaten. It's a diet when you come to church, and that's familiar to me. But is it what Jesus lived? See, Jesus came to represent the Father. The the entire purpose was that Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal the Father, which means that Jesus was perfect theology. He was absolutely a perfect representation of God. 
you can't see God with your eyes, but I mean, you could, but, but Jesus came and he walked on the earth so that we could see it and we could record it and we can know this is what the father is like. This is how he handles certain situations. This is what he focuses on. This is who he is. And he focused on life. Think about the first, the first sermon at Pentecost after the Holy Spirit was poured out. Remember that Peter, Peter's message was basically, if you go read through Peter's first message when 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord, it was a message about Jesus is resurrected, he has ascended, and he's now pouring out his spirit on all flesh. That was the kickoff of spirit-filled churches. That was the first message. Yet people will say, well, hold on. There's a scripture in there that says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember what saved means. Set free, healed, delivered. Where? In the life of Jesus. In the life of Jesus, he's pouring it down. He's pouring it down. It never stops. Like, like, you understand, it's not like some days he has a day where he's just running on empty a little bit. And you're like, man, I'm just, man, Jesus is like, not, he's not pouring it out as much as he usually is. Maybe, maybe you just stepped out of alignment a little bit. And you just need to just, just take a step back into that alignment in that place. But he's always pouring out. He's always pouring out life. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Powerful sermons and a life-giving church will be recognized by the grace they're filled with. They'll be recognized by the life that comes from them. They'll be recognized by the righteousness that they feel in it. Don't, Don't confuse grace with mercy. Mercy deals with your past and the forgiveness of your past. Grace deals with your present and future. When you came to the cross, you needed mercy for your sins. Grace deals with who you are now and who he's calling you to be. Well, what about flesh? Aren't we supposed to crucify the flesh? Aren't we supposed to talk about that? Romans 8 9 talks about that. You want to know where the flesh is dealt with? Romans 8 9, his disciples. Uh, nope, that's not right. That's Luke 9. 8, 9. Romans 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the, excuse me, you, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. Let's pause. Where's the Spirit of God? At the cross or with Jesus in life? That's where the Spirit of God is. Where does flesh disappear? In the life of Jesus. 
Let's read it again. You, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. (laughs) Our flesh melts away in the presence of Jesus. I don't have to keep killing it. It's gone over here. I hear so many sermons about killing, like killing ourselves, like killing the flesh, killing. And I think you're robbing, we're being robbed of the life in Jesus. We're called to live. I youth pastored for many, many, many years. I think 15, 16 years I did youth ministry is where I started. And I found out really quick that teenagers want to live. They want to live. If all my message was on was on death, I would pretty much weed out my youth group pretty quick. And the ones that stayed, all they knew how to do was behavior modifications. I'm choosing that word really specifically because that's what comes if we try to just live from the place of mercy, which deals with our past. It's the grace that enables you to change. If you try to change without grace, all you can do is behavior modifications. You, 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 can, you can try, but it doesn't stick. Some people are like, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and it just doesn't stick. I would question, are you doing it in the grace Where does flesh disappear? In the realm of the Spirit of God. That's where it disappears. I, I, I grew up, man, like, like in my mind and my thinking, and, and I, I probably put a lot of this on myself. I would be in worship, and if I wasn't feeling something, I would just immediately go into like, I have to, I have to kill more of me. I'm getting in the way. It's probably what a lot of people in this room think. And that thinking starts coming. I'm not feeling the Lord. They're feeling the Lord. Oh, what have I done? Oh, it's me. It's me, me. Let me just go back over here because this is what I know. Mercy. I, I would go to bed every night, and I, I just knew to, like, I, I got to confess everything I can think of. Anybody else do that? I, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. That's how we rolled. I'm like, man, how am I going to remember all these I'm like, God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. Sorry for this. Forget, you know, going through. And I'm focused on death. (laughs) I'm looking at your faces. I was like, you too? (laughs) There's grace, all right? That's what you've done. There's grace. That's the whole point of this sermon. There's grace. There's grace. 
I don't know about you, but if I walked into my, I have three kids, I love my kids. If I walk into the room with my children and I want to put them to bed, I don't want them to feel like, Dad, I just, I want to tell you every wrong thing I did today so you'll be pleased with me so you'll say goodnight. Because that's what we do and we do that with the Lord. I need to get everything out because I could die in the middle of the night and then I'll go to hell. That's why we choose night. I'm sure that's the reason. And we, we, we go to bed. And I want, I want to come into my kid's room. You know, I'm glad that your heart doesn't want to do that. That's great. Dad loves you, though. I, I didn't come in here to hear all your failures. I came in here to tell you how amazing you are. He doesn't, my kids don't need me telling them, pointing out their failures. They're aware of their failures. It starts pretty young. They figure it out. They're not dumb. Kids are smart, by the way. Just give them an iPhone and you'll find out how smart. <laughs> how did you do that? <laughs> I have an Apple TV and like the screen messes up. Addie's like, just do this, Dad. Do, 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 do. I'm like, whoa, I'm getting older. <laughs> That's what it feels like when you don't know what to do. And your kids are like, do this. <laughs> I used to be that kid. <laughs> I need a sozo. <laughs> just joking. Just joking. All right. Let's, let's bring this together. Um, let's, let's talk about if, if I'm not in, a, in enough deep water, let's go deeper. Um, okay, let's go a little further. You don't need to worry about the flesh. I'm, I'm, I'm relieving you of that. Be free. Be free. You're, okay. I have so many thoughts and I got to pull them together. If you live in the spirit of God, grace, life, and righteousness are flowing into you continually. Grace overpowers sin. Life overpowers death. You are constantly being filled with grace, which overpowers sin. And life, which overpowers death. I, I don't have time to get into it, but David was even talking this morning in my office. We were talking about even the power of healing physically in your body when you begin to live in the resurrection and life of Jesus. It actually will heal your body. Amen. Sickness and disease is all residue from the curse. I say residue. It's exactly what it is. That stuff is washed away when you live in the life of Jesus. And things begin to change in your physical body. But, but what about, let's go a little farther. In death-focused Christianity, you believe that your holiness is dependent upon your behavior. <laughs> holiness is not a what, it's a who. Holiness is not a what, it's a who. First Peter 1 Peter 1.16, Jesus says, I am holy. I don't know if you pay attention to when Jesus uses the words, I am. I am this, I am that, I am holy. That is who he is. He is holy. My behavior modifications don't change who he is. And when I am in him, I am holy because he is holy. You're beginning to understand it, that it's his holiness that I abide in. 
I'm in him and he is holy, so therefore I am holy. Now, it doesn't, you know, grace doesn't give you just a, a free pass to, to sin. Grace empowers you so you don't need to sin. The reason that you sin is you're trying to accomplish something on your own outside of Christ. And so then you feel like, I have to do this this way. But when you live in a place of grace, when you live in a place in the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's constantly pouring into you life, resurrection, and there was a third one, life, resurrection, righteousness, thank you. Um, When he's constantly pouring this into you, what can't you overcome? I don't need to sin. Grace enabled me to overcome so I don't have to sin. People sin, they lie, they do things, they do all these things that are wrong. Why? Because they're trying to overcome it on their own. I don't need that. I can live over here. I'm, I am, I am <laughs> you and me, we're powerful people. You understand, as a believer, you are a powerful person. Like, you got to get this. You're powerful. Now that here, I can hear it now, that death teaching, well, Jesus is the powerful one. You're just a, a lowly sinner saved by grace. Death. Let your death radar come on. Mm, 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 mm. That's death. I know that. That sounds funky. That's not life. I, I, have, I have literally done, I have literally done, um, oh, like, ceremonies before where I preach on something and I tell them they're powerful. And I remember I did one one time and I was looking at the young lady and saying, you are a powerful woman of God. I'm doing a wedding ceremony. And someone pulled her over afterwards. I just remember Jesus is the powerful one. You're not. She hadn't even gotten to the ceremony yet. I was like, oh, pastor's gloves are coming off now. No, no, lay hands on you. What more, more, more? No, no, I'm just joking. Seriously, a joke. I don't touch people. Um, <laughs> see, this is what happens when you say more and I open my mouth and get in trouble. That's the piece that's going to go out on the internet. John going, more, more, more. <laughs> no, but I, I, I preached it. And, and the moment that, that the ceremony was over, this young lady, someone said to her, just remember, you're really not powerful. Christ is. And immediately, I felt just that, that, that trying to pop the balloon. You know what? There's half truth in that. Christ is powerful. But guess what? There is no distance. There is no separation. You are in him. And if he's powerful, you're powerful. If he's holy, you're holy. If he's right, I'm going to preach, man. <laughs> I'm going to start running. <laughs> We're going to turn real Pentecostal this morning. <laughs> oh, your, your holiness has nothing to do with your behavior. It has to do with your address. Who are you in? It's not what you do. It's where you live. I live in Christ. Well, I don't know if that was the holiest thing. Well, you know, I, I tell... I meet people sometimes that they are in Christ and they're doing amazing things for the Lord and they make some dumb decisions sometimes. Like, they just do. Thankfully, none of you, but others do. <laughs> others make some dumb decisions sometimes. And I still look at them and guess what? They're still in Christ. <laughs> and here they are. And they're in Christ. Now, there's a difference. I could go, we could break down words all day. 
Because some of you, purity is big too. That's different than holiness. I, I have a part in living a life that's pure before the Lord. I have a decision that I want to do things that just, just he loves. That's on me. I partner with him. But it doesn't change how holy I am because my sin can affect how holy he is. And I'm in him. All right, we got to end. You guys waited too long to get excited. Now I'm getting going. <laughs> you are now holy. You're holy. I'm setting you free. I'm, I'm, I, guys, I, I meet with people sometimes that carry burdens, and I look at them, and I think, oh, it breaks my heart. I'm like, you are carrying such a burden that he never meant you to carry. I, I meet with people that they're, they're, they're just living under this, this weight. And sometimes I'll even tell them, I'll say, I'm relieving you of your duty. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And you can see him go, <gasps> life breathes into him. There's something happening in this house, in this raw land, that I have, and I say this humbly, I've never seen before. I just haven't. I've, been, I've seen some amazing churches. But there's an amount, there's something with life giving that God is doing here, and it is not me, it is the Lord. Yep. Yeah. I recognize that. I never would steal his glory. It is all his. But he's doing something. He wants people. I can see it in your eyes from the beginning of this sermon to where we're at now. There's life coming. You're feeling hope. I see you guys. Some of you are moving like this. You know, I feel it in the room. Why? Because you're recognizing who you are. We have to continually do that. That's what we're called to do. That's what the leadership, the worship team, what were they singing this morning? It was all about life. I watch Tiffany. She'll change a line if it doesn't line up with life. She'll switch it out. I've seen her do it live before, and she's like trying out new lines the whole song until it clicks. We are not going to sing about that. Why? Because we're not focusing on death. We're focusing on life. The majority of Christian worship songs right now, many of them, the verses and the choruses are all about death and how I'm so bad, and somewhere in the bridge we get to the goodness of God. Which is why people want to stay on the bridge. (laughs) Why does the bridge feel so good? Well, that's the good part. (laughs) But there's something in you that comes alive when it it feels, that's who I am. Someone says something. Someone preaches something. You're like, oh, that's who I am. That's who I am. Why does the world live? Why is it so easy to live focused on death? Why do we use that? And I really believe it's a big part of it. People, it's a fear of punishment. If you were to really rip back so many of the reasons, why do you do what you do? Why do you stay in that place? Why do you stay death-focused? There's a fear of punishment that if I don't, this is what's going to happen. We're worried about the punishment that will come our way if we break the rules. So then we hide our junk. And we create a culture 
where everybody hides everything. Because if I show you, you'll punish me. If I, if I let you see the real me, you'll punish me. Ooh, you feel that in the room? That's Jesus saying freedom's getting ready to hit. So we hide things, we lie, we sneak around. Why? We, we're, it's in order to avoid pain. Pain comes from punishment. We don't want more pain. So we can't be honest with people because then that brings me more pain. Just what would it, what would it be like to come to a place where I can bring the nasty me? <laughs> like, I, I got problems. And I'm just gonna tell you, here it is. And they say, oh, but that's actually not you. You want to know who you are? Let me tell you who you are. You're in Christ. You're holy. You're righteous. You're connected. You're in favor with the Father. That's who you are. Some people don't, some people don't know how to move forward in this because some people, it's, it takes their whole message away. How do I evangelize if I don't scare people? It's not easy to change. Changing your diet isn't easy. If your diet has been based on fear, <laughs> I felt some pain coming from that. Jesus, I know that's true. Um, if your diet has been fear, punishment, death, it is not typically just overnight that that switches. It is an intentional Leaning into life. There is, there's, there's, there's no punishment coming from God. I, I do hope you know that. I even highlighted that in communion last week in the scripture, in the communion scripture, it said that they thought Jesus was being punished by God. He wasn't. We hide things, we sneak around. We hold people captive at the cross instead of setting them free. Jesus demonstrated something completely different. He was driven by joy. He wasn't driven by fear. He had this, um, this incredibly hard task in front of him, the cross. It would have changed everything if there was a scripture in your Bible that said that he was in fear of what the Father would do to him if he didn't do it. That would have changed everything. He didn't say that. He said, I put joy in front of me, and I let that get me through it. Maybe our evangelism should be more about putting joy in front of people. How do I... How do I come in front of them and say, I'm not going to scare you? Trust me, they, they know most of them. I got family members that have been told, that aren't even walking with the Lord, that have been told too many times that they're going to hell. And I remember one time they told me, like, I don't need anyone else telling me. I'm, I'm very aware of where I'm at in my walk with the Lord. They don't need that. 
They need someone with the joy before them that says, you want to know what life could be like? You know how good it could be? You know what God wants for you? That's what got Jesus through the cross. That's what will get them through the cross. Okay. I hope that the children's workers may not feel that way. <laughs> I got one. I'll, I'll just read this and this is it. A relationship motivated by fear is filled with guilt and condemnation. That's, that's the tools. That's what they go for in the belt, in the tool belt. It's always focusing on what you've done wrong. When Romans 8 teaches us that on the other side of the cross, there's now no condemnation in Christ. Why? Because he's holy. He can't be holy and condemned at the same time. He's holy. This burns in me. This burns in me. We have to give ourselves to the journey of learning this, guys. We have to give ourselves to this journey. We have to lean into the diet change that we've been fed on one thing, but we have to begin to be fed on life. This looks effective. It really does. You can get a lot of conversions with this. But you get disciples over there. And we have to dedicate ourselves in this house. I'm calling you. I am calling you. The flag is going up. I see it in the spirit. And I'm calling this house to gather around this message. And say we are about life. Life. And I, 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 I feel the, I feel the it resonates in your spirits. I feel it. Let's stand. I got to quit. If you, if you stand, I'll be quiet. I, I uh, just, just stay for a moment. God is doing amazing things. Oh, He's so good. I was talking to um, Matt over here before service. He just had a new baby. This is amazing. Amazing, beautiful baby. I already saw pictures. <laughs> Your mama. And I asked him if I could say this. Um, they were here one week right before they had the baby. And uh, his wife was very pregnant. <laughs> like, it's time. <laughs> and I just felt like I've, I've never prayed this before, I'm like, I just, I, I caught him in the eye, I said, I feel like God wants to give you a pain-free birth. <laughs> Any mama would take that, yeah, yeah, that's life. He came in this morning, and he said, she had no pain having the baby. <laughs> that's amazing, amazing. Guys. That's all residue from the curse. Remember the curse? Childbearing will hurt. It's a residue, though. It doesn't have power. We're just cleaning it off. That's, that's life. These are the things. You're going to have a whole lot of people if that gets out. A lot of pregnant mamas coming in. Can you pray for me, please? I'm not even pregnant yet. Can we start early? Just, just, let's just start. 
start hitting it. Oh, Jesus. Lord, I pray right now. I thank you for this house. I thank you for what we feel in this place. And I thank you that you are, you are gathering and assembling a group of believers that are going to focus on life. We recognize the, the power of the cross. We recognize the power of mercy, but we recognize it's the transition of being reconciled to you so that I can go live in the fullness of Christ. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us. I ask for those of us that have grown up and our diet has been just focused on its death. Help us as we transition into life. Just give us the grace that we're talking about to be able to begin to carry the message that you carried, which was life and life more abundantly. We receive that this morning. And Lord, I speak, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step into establishing something because I feel like this is gonna happen. Lord, right now, I just, Father, I step into what I feel you saying. And Lord, I establish in this moment that this will be a house that's known for the life and resurrection of Jesus. It will be a house that people will see the banner of life flying over it. And they will look at it and say, I wanna know what's going on there. I see life there. I feel life and I feel like, Lord, you've given me permission to do this. There will be millions. I, there, I, this is a crazy number, but there will be millions that will be impacted by this church. You've shown me that. And Lord, it's not for hype. It's that we can declare the word of the Lord. And this is what you're showing us. So this morning, March 1st, 2020, I declare it and I establish it in this moment that this house will be a house known for life. And death has no place here. Death has no place here. Pain has no place here. Even in childbearing, pain has no place here. No place in Jesus' name. Now, I pray over your minds, those of you that you have known one thing, that your minds right now, they're being challenged, they're being pushed, and that's wonderful. I pray that you would feel the leading of the Lord in this moment. He would lead you and he would guide you and that you would follow him. And some of you are going to find freedom. Some of you, I am relieving you from the pressure that you put on yourself. You do not make yourself holy or less holy. In him, you're holy. So I bless you. I'm going to call the, the, the worship team. The prayer team forward. The, yeah, prayer team. You're going to sing over everyone this morning. Um, no, I, I call them forward. I also pray over everyone in this place as you leave, as you go home. I just pray the blessing of the Lord over your household that your house would be filled with his presence and his peace. And you would experience the presence of the Lord in ways you've never experienced it before in your home. That as people walk into your home, they would be set free in the atmosphere of your home. They would sit on your couch and things would melt off before you even say anything. This is a life-giving people. I bless you. I honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.